Amen. Powerful video. <clears throat> I could watch a video like that all day. I mean, stories of people who were once living broken lives, who are now freely experiencing God's redeeming love. A new outlook, a new lease on life, a new purpose. I don't know about you, but one of the biggest questions that I think people often wrestle with is this. What is my purpose? It often comes at a time when we're feeling unsettled, or maybe we're doubting, or maybe we're in some sort of a transition when we're feeling broken or experiencing some kind of loss or we're confused, or when we're at various stages in life. Some of you are graduating high school in this next year and you're wondering, what's my purpose? Where am I going? What am I gonna be doing? Some of us are in the middle stage of life and we're wondering, am I doing what God had called me to do? Am I living my purpose out? Rick Warren, who's the pastor uh, out in Saddleback uh, in California, uh, took actually, actually took that question on. What is my purpose? He wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I'm sure many of you heard of it. You should have. It sat on the New York Times bestseller for 90 weeks. 32 million copies have been sold since it was released in 2002. It was the best-selling hardback nonfiction book in history, second, to the most, uh, second most translated book in the world after the Bible. And it's wrestling with the question, what is my purpose? What on earth? am I here for? Do you want to know what his first sentence was in the book? It's not about you. How about that page turner? 32 million people bought a book because they're trying to find out the future and their purpose in life and the first thing they read from somebody is saying it's not about you. I would have ripped out that page and I would have thrown the book in the toilet. I mean, just gotten rid of it. <laughs> And the question this morning is that if it's not about me, if that book that Warren wrote to 32 million people, if it's not about me, then what is my purpose? This morning we're going to explore that question a little bit. And to help us do that, we're looking at this story of Samson that Katie read for us in the book of Judges. Now, in order to fully understand a little bit about Samson's life, uh, I want to do a little bit of an overview because there's four chapters that you'll read in the book of Judges that gives uh, Samson, uh, that, that explains Samson's story. But let me just tell you right off the front, from, the, uh, from the front of it, is that Samson is not some moral exemplar that we should be looking to, for example. He's probably one of the most narcissistic people in the Bible. I, I kind of laughed this week because I did a little research and I looked at some children's ministry curriculum and it's got this be like Samson, big and strong. Friends, let me tell you something. If your son comes home today and says, I want to be like Samson, seek counseling for him immediately, okay? <laughs> I'm going to back up to Judges 13. I'm going to walk us through a couple phases to give us a little bit of an understanding of Samson. Here's what we read in Judges 13, verses 2 through 5. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or any other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead 
in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now let's understand Samson a little bit here. Samson was considered a Nazarite by God. This was an elite group of servants of God who were dedicated to be used for God's purpose. For most people who became a Nazarite, it was a, a choice. They got to a place where they said, I want to be a Nazarite. And they took a vow in order to become a Nazarite. They were separ separated for God for his holy purpose. Not so with Samson. Samson was put in, was uh, called by God before he was even born that he would be a Nazarite. Now the vow of a Nazarite consisted of three promises. Abstain from drinking, do not touch a dead body, and no haircuts while you're a Nazarite. God had called Samson to this special sect before he was even born. If you want to learn a little bit more about what it means to be a Nazarite, you can go to Numbers chapter 6 and you can look at that and you'll learn a little bit more. But that's where I'm going to leave you this morning for a little bit of understanding. From the beginning of Samson's life, God had a purpose for him to deliver Israel from the Philistines. The Philistines was a nation neighboring the Israelites who was in conflict with Israel. And at this time in the Bible, in this story and with Samson, the Philistines had control of, Is of the Israelites. They ruled them. And though Samson's parents had tried to raise Samson to honor his calling, what we'll find in those four chapters of, uh, in Judges 13 through 16 is that Samson would go completely in the opposite direction. One of Samson's talents was his brute strength. He didn't look like much, but his strength was extraordinary. He was so strong that he was able to take a lion out like it was nothing. Here's what we read in Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. Now a little sidebar here, the reason why they went down there is that he fell in love with a Philistine woman and he wanted to marry her. All right. So as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came out roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But neither he told his father or mother what he had done. Then he goes on with his life. Then he went down to talk with the woman, and he liked her. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Like, it's in the Bible. He liked her. <laughs> hey, Mikey, he likes her. <laughs> Sometime later, when he went back to marry this woman... He turned over and looked at the lion's carcass. And in, the, and, in, and in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. And he scoops in, he scoops out the honey with his hands, and he ate it as he went along. We're coming back to that. When, they, when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. We're coming to the back to that one too. <laughs> but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman. And there, Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. Okay, so a couple things we learn about Samson in this story. First, the power and strength to kill the lion came from the Spirit of God. It wasn't his hair. It wasn't his vow. He wasn't lifting weights all day long. It was the Spirit of God. He touched the dead lion to get at the honey, and he ate it. Now, if you're reading that and you think, wow, that was really, really gross... You are really, really right. That's disgusting. Think about it. It's road meat on the side of the road, probably sitting there for months, rotting in the hot heat, and he goes over and looks at it, sees honey, and he grabs, scoops some out, and he's like, oh, I'm going to eat it. Disgusting. Totally gross. But he touched a dead carcass 
in the process. Samson also here had a bachelor party. What do typically, what men do typically do at bachelor parties? No, it's not having tea and cookies, right? No, that's not the answer. He was having a party. He was, he was getting married. He was sowing his wild, his wild oats. The point here is that it appears that Samson is not taking his calling seriously. In fact, he's deliberately walking in the opposite direction. And rather than living his life as a Nazarite, Samson was living very fast and loose. All right, so now here we are in Judges chapter 16. And uh, Katie read it for you, and I just want to break it down just a little bit more. Everyone in Judges chapter 16 is driven by some different purpose. Samson was driven by love and lust and wanting to be normal. He wanted to be like everything else, everyone else. He didn't want the vow. He wanted to be able to do whatever he wanted. And his drive was, woman, was women. Samson is a wanted man. He's an enemy of the state because he's, he's been in this battle with the Philistines back and forth. So what does he decide to do? He says, I'm going to go down to the capital of Gaza. He goes down there, and what happens? He sees a prostitute, and he hangs out with her. Philistine, the Philistines hear that he's in town, so they plan this attack on him. Samson gets up in the middle of the night, and he leaves Gaza. But he doesn't just walk out. He lifts the doors, frame and all. I mean, these city gate doors were probably hundreds and hundreds of pounds, 10 feet tall, 20 feet tall. And he's carrying these doors to the hill that faces Hebron, which indicates about a 40-mile journey. So he didn't just, like, pick these things up and put it off to the side. He picked the whole thing up, put it on his shoulder, and walked 40 miles out the door. In the process, he meets Delilah, and he falls in love. He's totally head over heels for this woman. The Philistines in this story are driven by revenge. See, Samson didn't just escape. He humiliated the, the Philistines by stealing their gates. And he walks right out under their noses. It's like he's walking by and they're just like, I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. This guy had mu meat and muscle. Previously, Samson had burned all their crops. So this was this revenge battle back and forth between Samson, who was one man and a nation of many people. And they were trying to take him out. But remember... Samson's purpose by God was to begin to take the uh, Israelites out of the hands of the Philistines. Delilah. I, I, I got to be honest with you, as I read this passage this week, every time I kept thinking about Delilah Boydlow. Just happened. <laughs> it, I, it did. I'm sorry. <laughs> but as we talked earlier in between the services, Sam, Delilah in this story is not like our Delilah at North River. So... <laughs> Delilah was driven by greed, fortune, and success. The leaders of the nation of the Philistines offered her a modern-day equivalent of about $10 million. So notice that they were the leaders. If she was able to do this, pull this job off, she would have been a national hero. Wealth, influence, and power. So what does Delilah do? She forms an alliance with the leaders. She's obviously going to find out the secret of his strength. So here's kind of the process and how this happens. First attempt, Delilah's like, hey, honey, what's your secret? How could someone overpower you? Samson, tie me up with bowstrings. In other words, he lied, right? Second attempt, Delilah, you lied to me. Tell me the truth, please. 
Samson, tie me up with new ropes. Didn't work. Third attempt, Delilah, a little more annoyed here. You keep lying. You keep telling me. Uh, please tell me how you can be tied. Samson's getting a chuckle out of this. She's like, braid my hair. And nothing. By now, Delilah is frustrated, and she says the ultimate. If you say you love me, friends, this is the epitome of a dysfunctional relationship. <laughs> Samson doesn't lie to protect the secret of his strength, but to protect his need for love. If he tells her the truth, he'll lose her by being subdued. And because Delilah is intent on getting paid, she falls for each lie, sticking around, waiting to see if Samson will turn and tell the truth. Why doesn't Samson just kick Delilah out? Because he is driven, perhaps even blinded, by his need for love. Why doesn't Delilah kick Samson to the curb? Because she's driven by greed. She wants to get paid. At some point in the story, Samson gives in. The text tells us that Delilah nagged him every day until he was sick of hearing it. Call this a moment of weakness, or maybe he was so caught up with his need for love that he felt that if he didn't tell Delilah the truth, then their relationship would somehow change. Maybe she would start to withhold her love for Samson. Whatever the case may be, he finally tells her, Cut my hair, and I will be like everyone else. Samson falls asleep on Delilah's lap. She motions for someone to come in and cut his hair. She brings in the Philistines and calls, calls to Samson, saying, Hey, Samson, the Philistines are here. But here's what happens, different than what he thought. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Can you see what's happening here and what just happened in this passage? Samson says, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He no longer believed that it was God who was the source of his strength. Perhaps he noticed that God was still with him the two other times he had broken his Nazarite vow that he believed either one of two things. Maybe that God would always just bail him out, or he was feeling the pressure he was under from fulfilling his own interests, keeping Delilah happy so that she would love him, and it required him to compromise. So whatever the case, whatever he believed, Samson thought, I got out of trouble before with the Philistines. I'll get out of trouble now. So he's essentially saying here, I'm strong all on my own. The second thing is Samson didn't even know that the Lord had left him. Friends, this is one of the saddest, uh, saddest passages in the Bible. Samson was so driven by his own interests that he didn't even know that God was no longer with him. Samson was so caught up in his drive for love that he let the last condition of his Nazarite vow go with, cutting, with the cutting of his hair. Where did Samson's source of power come from? It was not in his hair. It wasn't even in his vows. Samson's source of power came directly from God. 
God's purpose for Samson's life was not just some religious duty, be a Nazarite. God's purpose for Samson's life was, uh, was ultimately God being with Samson. Tim Keller points out in, uh, that uh, to be with someone is a Semitic phrase for relationship. So here you, all throughout Samson's life, God was with him. God's pursuing him. God's protecting him. God's providing for him. God's wanting to love him. Yet here's Samson continually pushing God away. He touched a dead carcass. He drank at his bachelor party. Not once in Samson's life had he pursued God's purpose for his life. In fact, we could say that he either ran away from God's purposes or he was simply just fulfilling his own self-interests. And by telling Delilah about his hair, Samson is giving up the final connection to God by allowing his vow to be completely severed, to be broken. And in doing that, Samson is choosing to be with Delilah rather than being with God. Do you see that? Is that, or is that making, is there a connection there? I just want to make sure. So the result of that is that Samson is powerless. He's captured by the Philistines. They take his eyes and he's sentenced to slavery. Being captured by the enemy and being powerless, being unable to see and sentenced to slavery. Not only does this describe Samson's capture, the truth is, this is a sobering description of life without God. Without God, we don't have power. We're blinded by the ways of God. And we're held in bondage to our sin. Proverbs 19.21 summarizes Samson's attitude well. Many are the plans in a person's heart, self-interest, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. In other words, we can find many things that drive us, that we think will give us purpose, but in the final analysis, when we do that, it's life without God. And when we try to live life outside of God's purpose, we are like the image of Samson, shackled, blind, enslaved, and powerless. Let me give a couple examples of what I mean. Let's say that the thing that drives us in our life is money and power. I'm thinking of Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey was ambitious. He knew how to make a lot of money. And he was well-connected. How much money was enough for Epstein? What was he willing to do to accomplish his purpose? He lived a very dark life. I would even go so far to say it was evil. What was his legacy? How many lives were destroyed? What about his own life? Was it worth it? Or what about being driven by ego? I'm thinking of Antonio Brown, former wide receiver for the Patriots. An incredibly talented football player. He was a baller. Teams were willing to give up high-level draft picks for this guy to come play for him. Big money contract. 
Yet the way he treated people off the field and the way he treated people sometimes on the field was atrocious. Let's go a little bit deeper. What about you? What drives you? What are you living for? What gets you out of bed each day? Or what keeps you going on the days when you feel like everything you are doing is meaningless? Maybe a better question to ask is, are you living your life on purpose? Do you know your purpose? Are you living the way God has specifically and divinely and intentionally called you to be? I know I started this message by sharing Rick Warren's first sentence in his book, but a little bit later on in, his, in the read, he clarifies it a little bit more. Here's what it says. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your own peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's even far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. Do you see Samson as Warren writes those words? If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose, and you were born for his purpose. Want to know what God's purpose is for your life? Want to answer that question? He wants to be with us. God wants us to start with him. We fill up our day with so many things. Yet are we living with God in the process? Here's the litmus test. Do you experience his power and strength in your life? Or do you sense that you're on mission? Or are you oftentimes finding yourself feeling depleted, wandering, and searching for something more? Friends, life doesn't have to be like that. Life wasn't intended to be like that. See, when we are with God, we have a sense of fullness and completeness and a desire for more of God and less of, of everything else. And Samson fought against this his entire life. And my question for you this morning is, are you here today fighting that too? Is your heart's desire to be with someone else or be with something else or be with God? Back to that Redeem video that we saw before um, a few moments ago. Each person had a label on them. They were defined by someone or they were defined by something else. An addict, abused, insecure, abandoned, shopaholic. Probably the worst of them all, right? Just kidding. <laughs> and went from there to being united with God. If you ever have been defined by someone or something else, today can be the day. No more brokenness. You can be released. You can be redeemed. You can have life with God. You have the ability to embrace and receive God's power. 
Friends, no one thing or no one has that much power over you that you can't be with God. I talk with people who wrestle with anxiety. I talk with people who wrestle with addiction. I talk with people who struggle, have some sort of a hang-up with God, have been hurt or broken in their past. And in some way and somehow, it's created this, um, this sense of power over them. But friends, let me tell you something. God's power, God's love, is much greater than anything that you feel like this morning has power over you. You can be released from that power. You can be set free. You can be redeemed. And if we get to that place where we are no longer holding on to that someone or something in our life, but we're realizing that God's power is greater, you're going to be a force to re-reckon with in the kingdom. Now, you might be thinking here, well, what if I pushed God away myself? Or what if I've chosen to be with someone else or something else? Has God given up on me? Is it, is it too late? Here's the, better part, the best part of this story. God came back. How do we know that? The first thing, Samson's hair grows back. The rest of the story tells us that while he was in prison, Samson's hair begins to grow. Is this magic hair? No. Hair typically grows back. The Philistines must not have been too worried <laughs> about Samson's hair growing back. Perhaps they figured since his hair had been cut, they, that he would forever be limited by, without, with ordinary strength. Whatever the reason, they didn't seem to think that his hair was a threat to him. So what's going on? Why record the detail? Well, a couple things. First, remember, Samson wasn't a Nazarite for a specific period of time. He was a Nazarite for life. So what does that mean? Does God give up on us? God's love and desire to be with us is not based on what we do or what we don't do. God's love is at work despite of that. One of the things I, uh, Jamie and I constantly tell our daughters is this. It's not what you do that reveals why I love you. It's who you are that I love you. And that's the way God is with us. He begins and he ends with love. His compassion is greater than his anger. God's purpose and plan is going to be fulfilled. And God is not going to give up on his purpose. The rest of this story, as sad as it is, Samson, one day, they're, at a, they're in a celebration, and he's inside the building with the, with the rest of the Philistines. And he had someone bring him over to a pillar, and he's leaned up against it. His hair had grown back. And he leaned up against the pillar and he said, God, give me strength one more time so that I can have revenge over the Philistines. Not that I could fulfill your purpose, God, but I could have revenge. He wanted to die with the Philistines rather than live life without God. And in that moment, he pushed the pillar. And the pillar went down and the, the passage tells us that he killed more Philistines that day than he did at any other time in his life. 
What does that tell us? God's purpose prevails. God's purpose prevails. The whole purpose of Samson was that he would begin to lead the Israelites away from the hands of the Philistines. Where's the gospel in this story? God has a relentless pursuit for you and me, and that's through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And God doesn't give up on that pursuit. He's constantly seeking us, finding us, meeting us, and reaching us so that we would turn our life in order to focus on him. If there's nothing else that you leave here with this morning, it's this. Life is not designed to fulfill our self-interests, but to live life with God's purpose and power. Now, God might call us to some mission. God might call us to do something. Yes, a task. But that's not, our, that's not our, necessarily our purpose. Our purpose is to be with God, to enjoy him, to be in a relationship with him, to walk with him, to learn, to let him lead, let him guide. That when life gets tough, when we make mistakes, when we find ourselves broken, when we find like we can't go on. Like the words of Jesus, come to me those who are weary and I will give you rest. Friends, God wants to be with us. It's not where Todd is. It's not what Todd does. It's who Todd is with God. And that's the same for each and every one of us. God wants to be with us. Let's pray. Thank you for this chapter. Thank you for your word. And may it stir in our hearts a story of somebody who went the other way, but you continued to pursue your purpose and ultimately you pursued your people. God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts this morning. And if there's a place in our life, if there's an area in our life, or if there is an attitude in our life, or if we're just pushing God away, God, I pray that you would reveal that to us and would today be a day that we are redeemed? Where we trust, where we turn, where we don't leave here unchanged. God, if we're struggling, if we doubt, God, fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with your grace. Reveal yourself to us. You don't run and hide. You say when we ask and we seek and knock, we'll be found by you. And God, as we walk with you, would you give us the power and the strength to stay focused on you? That you would give us the guidance and that you would fulfill your purpose in us that you who began a good work in us will bring it to the completion till the day of Christ Jesus. 
God, we trust with you, trust you in that. We rely on you in that. And we give you thanks for that. And all God's people said today, amen. Hey, I just want to make sure that you understand that while God will change us immediately, forgive us, release us, give us new direction, it's still a journey. We still have to walk it. I would encourage you that if you are at a place where you want to continue on in your journey and you need some help, that's what North River is all about. We want to reach people with God's love. We want to help them grow. And we want to help them identify what God has for them to do. One of the easiest ways that you can do that is um, join a small group. Uh, there's a group of, um, of guys back there who are doing a Monday 12-step uh, Christian ministry study uh, that's learning how to break free from addiction. And there's some women back there who are doing a study on how to continue to know God's word and apply that uh, to their life. If you're not part of a small group, those are two great options for you to join today. I'm gonna ask that you would stand with me. I'm gonna leave you with these words. May God's grace protect you. May God's grace keep you. May his love be our guide and may we trust him in all that we say and do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, have a great day today. Enjoy being together.